Rick Jensen on 1150 AM, 1017 FM, WDEL. A lot of folks, including myself, have a lot of questions about the virus, the vaccines, people uh, who have been vaccinated and unvaccinated, how many are in the hospital. And uh, we have had deaths here in Delaware over just the last couple of days. Um, I'm looking at uh, since September 24, it looks like about uh, 18 uh, people. And you might not think that's a lot. But consider right now when we have we're, we're over 70 percent vaccination, fully vaccinated for people who are over the over the age of uh, 65. And Delaware is doing much, much better than uh, than other states. And still, as I'm looking at the state d- dashboard, there are 219 people in hospitals throughout Delaware with covid 40 are in critical condition. And what I like to do for you is bring people on who actually understand this, know this, they study this, and this is their profession. Dr. Marcy Dries is the Chief Infection Prevention Officer and Hospital Epidemiologist for Christiana Care, not only the largest uh, hospital in the region, but one of the busiest regional hospitals in the country. Dr. Dries, I really appreciate the fact you go on with me and, and we talk about this. Thank you. Well, thank you, Rick, for having me back. Yeah, and also thanks. Let me call you Marcy, which is so much easier. So right now, how many patients uh, in ICU are unvaccinated versus versus vaccinated? In other words, do you have an idea of the percentages or the average rolling percentages of people in hospital right now, specifically Christiana Care, that are and or are not vaccinated? So we don't have perfect data on this because we do ask um, all our admitted patients whether they were vaccinated or not. Um, So it's really based on their own report. Some of them aren't able to tell us. So, um, you know, we don't have any sort of national database that that is able to tell us whether people are vaccinated or not. So it is it does have some limitations. And we really just um, when we look at the data, it's kind of a a snapshot in time. So we don't it's not something that we systematically follow. Um, But I would say the, the vast majority of people in the hospital and certainly in the ICU are unvaccinated. I look at some of the national numbers and the estimates are 98 percent, 99 percent of the people who are in hospital are unvaccinated. One percent, less than two percent are indeed vaccinated. Do you uh, suspect that those numbers correlate with what's happening here in Delaware? So it, you have to be a little careful about interpreting those numbers um, because it really depends on what your overall um, incidence of COVID is in the community. So if you have a state that has a very low vaccination rate, um, they will have a lot of hospitalizations, uh, a lot of ICU admissions, and a very small proportion of those will be in among the vaccinated. Whereas if you're in a state such as Delaware that's done a little bit better with vaccination, like you said, we will have m- many fewer cases overall, but a higher percentage of them might be vaccinated. Um, so it's it's really it's one piece of the puzzle, but it doesn't really explain the whole you know the whole picture. You have to look at total cases as well. How well are we doing in Delaware right now? As far as vaccination. So, um, I mean, I think overall we're doing reasonably well. You know, the um, according to the state website, you know, we're almost at 80 percent of people with at least one dose. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're certainly not where we need to be in terms of uh, fully vaccinated, but I think, you know, we're slowly making progress. 
I, I look at uh, the Mayo Clinic. They uh, they have a staff of people there who are tracking state by state by state, and I really don't know how accurate they are. I compare their numbers with some states that are publishing theirs, and they seem to be uh, very very accurate. And uh, and in Delaware, I mean, yeah, they're they're showing uh, a lot, like well over seventy uh, percent. Uh, of people who are over the age of 50 being vaccinated and uh, the folks over 75 years old, um, you're looking at, you know, 90% or so. And I was just wondering, um, have you seen the Mayo numbers and does it seem to be reliable when it comes to uh, measuring here in Delaware? So I have not seen the Mayo Clinic numbers, but, uh-huh. you know, this, you know, throughout, because all these vaccines are provided by the U.S. government, you yeah. know, they're in order to be able to give out vaccines, um, we're required to report back in who we're vaccinating. And so I think we have much better data overall state by state because it all gets reported up to the government who's providing the vaccine. So I think we're all they're all probably using the same database to show vaccinations. If you just tuned in, Dr. Dries is a chief infection prevention officer and hospital epidemiologist for Christiana Care. Um, well known and works on a national level as well. I get calls from people. As we, we talk about these things on a talk show, of course. And uh, and something that keeps coming up, doctor, is what about you know the shedding of uh, of, of COVID amongst people who are vaccinated. And I'm not seeing a lot being reported on that, a little bit here or there. But do you know, are vaccinated people shedding as much as unvaccinated or or not at all? So it, it does appear that they shed less than unvaccinated people. So there, there were a couple studies that did, um, you know, they did uh, nasal swabs and did PCRs com- and compared vaccinated with unvaccinated, and they looked the same. But I think you have to understand, you know, PCR is one technology that it picks up genetic material from a virus or bacteria. It doesn't really say whether that virus is contagious or not, or whether it's even alive mm-hmm. um, and able to infect someone else. So, you know, the best way to really look at that is can you culture COVID virus from, you know, vaccinated versus unvaccinated people. So I've seen, you know, I've seen a couple very small studies so far that suggest that even if you have a PCR positive in a vaccinated person, they're much less likely to have culturable virus. So suggesting that they are much less contagious. I was reading, Um, I was reading that uh, what happens is like, for example, you can get vaccinated and you have another positive test. And that's because the dead cells might are being expelled from your nose and your lungs. Could you explain that a little bit? So, I mean, you're, the whole idea of vaccination, as you know, is that you, you've given, you've primed your immune system, right? So the instant it's actually exposed to the, the virus that you're now ex, you know, exposed to, your immune system is ready to ramp up right away um, and start producing antibodies and really and gets control of the infection much more quickly than had you not been vaccinated, just because otherwise it just takes, can take days for um, your immune system to ramp up. So I think it just, you know, once the you know the the virus you know infects your cells, but then your immune system really you know goes into uh, uh, overdrive to you know well it may kill those cells that mm-hmm. are infected, so they can't produce more virus to then go on and and kill other cells or infect other cells. So you have all this dead virus and dead cellular material floating around, and the PCR will still pick that up. But again, you know it doesn't mean that those um, viral particles are are contagious. Um, recently. There was a bit of a dust-up amongst FDA scientists, and they seem to be hesitant uh, about the need for booster shots. What, what, what's the reason for, uh, for that hesitancy? 
Well, I think, you know, I think they're, they're, you know, we like to have more data than we have just to show, you know, that we really need boosters, you know, and, and we've started to see some waning of antibody levels um, over time, you know, as people get further and further out from their initial series. But, you know, antibodies are only one part of the picture. You know, you also have your T cells, your B cells, your memory cells that can then, you know, ramp up to produce new antibodies should you be exposed. Those are a lot more difficult to measure over time. And so so I think there's just a little hesitancy that, you know, what we're talking about is a huge program, millions and millions of dollars being spent for something that may not have um, as much benefit as we would hope it to have. So I think, you know, I think they would just like to have a little bit more data. Um, and certainly we know that the reason that we're having this resurgence in Delta and, and still seeing so many hospitalizations is not a failure of vaccines that we all need to go out and get boosters. It's the fact that not enough people have gotten their first and second doses. Um, and so, you know, for any given dose of vaccine, it will do a lot more good going into someone who has not yet been vaccinated than it will be boosting someone who's already been vaccinated. Yeah, and listening to what you're saying, it, it kind of emphasizes the, what we hear is that this is an epidemic now of the unvaccinated. And yet there are people who are vaccinated getting COVID, obviously, but the outcomes are much more positive. Yeah, overall, um, you, you know, the, the risk of hospitalization and ICU admission being on a ventilator and, of course, dying is much, much less than if you've been previously vaccinated. So the, so the Pfizer booster uh, is now approved. Is that currently recommended? And I use the word currently because I know these things change. Is it currently recommended only for recipients of the original Pfizer vaccine or also the other mRNA Moderna? And... Is it also recommended for something that's just like what we call the more traditional Johnson & Johnson? Right. So um, right now, the only authorization that's approved is for people who originally got Pfizer. Um, and that's what the FDA reviewed last week and what the CDC just uh, finished reviewing yesterday. Um, and that's because that they are the ones that applied for a booster um, based on the fact that they were seeing some waning immunity among people who received Pfizer. Moderna seems to be holding out a little bit stronger at this point, but mm -hmm. they are also applying for a booster and as well as will J&J. &J. So we expect to have um, some guidance for people who, uh, who got Moderna and J&J &J coming soon. But for right now, it's really only recommended for people who got the Pfizer initially. Yeah, we had that story just the other day where in here in Delaware, uh, Moderna is seemed to be outperforming Pfizer and both of them outperforming Johnson Johnson pretty well. And, and I was thought, I, I saw these numbers, I thought, no, Moderna, like one-third of 1% of, 1 uh, of people are hospitalized um, if they got both of the Moderna shots, and I believe it was uh, three-quarters of a percent or so uh, of 1% of, uh, of the Pfizer. And how are these numbers calculated? How do, we, how do they get to these numbers? Well, I mean, I think they're just looking at, you know, our overall vaccinated population and which, which uh, product they receive. But what, you know, when we're looking at how these vaccines are performed, are performing, we do vaccine effectiveness studies where we look to see how they're, uh, how they're performing in the real world um, and who, who is, you know, antibody levels um, over time and, and such. So what we're seeing certainly is that um, Pfizer immunity is does seem to be waning um, a little bit more than Moderna's is. And that may be related to the actual com um, 
composition of the vaccine or the fact that they were spaced out a little bit more, three, mm-hmm. four weeks instead of three weeks. We know that actually the, the further apart uh, vaccines are, the more durable or long-lasting the, the immunity tends to be. Um, so it was, a, it was a known balance between trying to get people fully vaccinated as quickly as possible versus knowing that, you know, we might need a booster, you know, down the road, which it looks like for Pfizer, at least we do. Are my listeners correct in saying that there seems to be a lack of uh, research or anyway, publicizing research about uh, antibodies resilience? Do you mean um, from natural infection? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a little bit harder to study, but I know there are studies certainly um, looking at that. And, you know, and there have been a number of studies that have looked at people who are unvaccinated versus vaccinated and whether they're more likely to be reinfected um, or, or infected in the first place. And I think, you know, there's definitely some conflicting uh, data out there. I think what's what we do know is that the, your immune response after a natural infection, particularly if it was milder, um, is a lot more variable. So some people may have a great immune response and be protected, but some people will have no immune response and, and could easily get reinfected. So I think, whereas after vaccination, I think it's just a little bit more consistent that people will have, you know, antibodies. So there's no real consensus there when it comes to scientific knowledge of antibodies resilience? Well, I think it's, I mean, I think there's still more to be learned, certainly. Um, And I think, you know, certainly the recommendation is that even if you've had COVID, that you should still be vaccinated, um, just because we don't know for sure that you are are fully protected because of your prior infection. Let me ask you, as a a professional in this field, you know, infection prevention and epidemiology, um, what's your opinion of whether or not unvaccinated people exposed to COVID should be quarantined or not? Well, you know, isolation and quarantine are two, you know, fundamental public health interventions that we've been using for centuries, right? So isolation is for people who have a disease that you're trying to prevent them from spreading to others. And quarantine is for people who are exposed to, the, to a disease. Um, and with COVID, you know, unfortunately, people are can be infected asymptomatically and spread, as we well know. Um, and they can spread, even if they do develop symptoms, they can spread before they have their first symptom. And so that's why quarantine, if you've been exposed, is so important because, you know, you basically reduce your, your likelihood of spreading it to someone else before you know that you have it. Um, and so... If, if, particularly if you're unvaccinated, because we know that the risk is much higher of being infected, um, you absolutely should be quarantining if you've been exposed. I've also been reading that unvaccinated people in their 30s and 40s with no known comorbidities are, are dying in hospitals. I don't know what percentages the, that represents, but what knowledge can you share about that? So COVID, you know, has been very random, right? So we know that overall, the older you are, the higher risk you have of dying. But that doesn't mean that because you're young and healthy that you can't die. Um, certainly, you know, on a percentage basis, it's, it's much, much lower. But on an individual basis, you don't know if you're going to be the person who has the breezes through an asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic infection versus the person who's going to end up in the ICU and, and even dying. So... Unfortunately, we can't rely on, you know, your past history or your, your underlying age or medical conditions to guarantee that you're, you're going to do well. Does it so. seem to you that um, just your impression as you study this day to day, does it seem to you that there are more people uh, who are younger and presumably healthy that are terminal from Delta than the Alpha? 
Um, it does seem like younger people are more affected by Delta, to be sure. And, you know, and, and what we've seen with pediatric hospitalizations, you know, again, even on a, you know, on a per person uh, basis, the risk is extremely low that a child will uh, end up in a hospital or ICU or die. We've still, you know, because there's just so much COVID and so many infections, the number of, of pediatric deaths that have happened across the country is, are much greater than even a, a very bad flu season typically. So, um, you know, it, it can just be really random and hard to predict, but certainly, you know, um, it, it does continue to happen. Dr. Dries, I really appreciate the fact you sit there, you, you thoughtfully consider all the questions of myself and my listeners as well. And you have this opportunity. What would you want people to know? And what would you like to say to folks? What do you want them to know? And yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, we, we continue to encourage everyone who's eligible to get vaccinated. You know, um, these vaccines are safe. They're effective. They, uh, a lot there's so much misinformation and disinformation out there that is I think is confusing people and unfortunately it's causing people to, to end up with COVID and, and even die because they are they're choosing not to be vaccinated. Well yeah, there are people so, saying we don't trust the government and there's good reason not to trust the government. I just uh, weigh the risk and say, Yeah, um of course I'm vaccinated and I wish you would be too. They look at the VAERS numbers, the V A E R S mm-hmm. numbers, the voluntary response um reporting numbers and I think there's a big misunderstanding there and say, oh, look at these uh, terrible outcomes. Yet that's a site that professionals use to investigate all of those reports to determine how many people have had uh, serious side effects or perhaps even died due to the vaccine. And the last time I looked, it was three people, all because of the one that uh, gave them blood clots. What's that number now that have been verified that had uh, perhaps died because uh, they actually got the vaccine and that caused their death? So I'm not aware of any additional cases other than the three that you mentioned, you yeah. know, and and VAERS is exactly what it is. It's it's meant to be kind of, um, uh, it's an open reporting system. So anyone can report anything into VAERS and they want people to report things into VAERS because we want to be able to detect any safety signals that might happen. So if a death occurs, you know, within three or four weeks after a vaccine, it gets reported, even if it was from a heart attack or a car accident or, you know, it doesn't doesn't matter what the death was from, but then they will then go and investigate and see if um, if experts really think that it was vaccine related. I appreciate your time. Dr. Marcy Dries, Chief Infection Prevention Officer, Hospital Epidemiologist, Christiana Carrick. I really appreciate these conversations. Thank you very, very much. Well, thank you. We'll be back right after this. Hang on. More with Rick Jensen is just ahead on 1150 AM, 1017 FM, WDEL. 